Welcome to the Industry Insider, brought to you by Promo Corner. Each week, promotional product professionals Meg Erber, Jeff Franklin, and Stephen McFadden, along with special guests, will discuss industry news, trends, and events with a focus on educating the promotional products industry. The Industry Insider, the nerdy news you need to know. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast where you can get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I'm joined today by three other lovely folks. But of course, before we get to them, we got to tell you about our fine sponsors today, our good friends over at Bell Promo. They are the home of the 12-piece minimum on everything. They offer simplified pricing, one low setup, and never repeat setups, regardless of the number of colors, locations, or decoration method. Bell Promo has the largest inventory of product styles and colors and in top categories like drinkware, bags, writing instruments, and apparel. So be the some be the reason someone smiles today and go check them out at bellpromo.com. That's one L B B E L P R O M O.com. And tell them the industry insider sent you. Why don't we say hi to uh Bidroom Meg? Bidroom Meg, how are you doing today? <laughs> I don't know if I like that nickname or not. <laughs> well, you know that's, that's a good point. <laughs> it's what came to mind, you know, the back. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, working remote this week um, on a specific territory. So um, this is where I am living for the week. It's nice. nice. And it's not a virtual background, but it looks like it on the... <laughs> See? It does actually. It's a very nice background. <laughs> and, and, I, and I like that there's a hat on uh, on VJ's stand, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And my yoga so mat. Does that mean you're, you're, you get the right side of the bed? That side. That is the left side. Actually, so it's it's always the side weird. it's always the side closest to the door. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Steve McFadden, how are you doing today? Fantastic. And what side I'm, of the bed uh, do you sleep on? <laughs> what's that? And what side of the bed do you sleep on? Oh boy. <laughs> this is taking a turn. <laughs> it's, Meg, it's your fault, you know? I, <laughs> I mean it's your fault, Bedroom Meg. You had to bring this up. And... Yeah, come on. All right. Well, we are joined today by a special guest. Uh, happy to have Chris Ruvo from ASI back with us today. And uh, look, we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the, the the UPS strike that didn't happen uh, and, and what has happened in the past and sort of the, the ramifications of something like that if it were to happen, uh, along with a few other things. But Chris, it is customary for us to give our special guests a good three to four minutes to introduce yourself, mm -hmm. maybe how you got started in the promotional products industry and what you've been up to since. Uh, so take it away, sir. Oh my gosh, I'm definitely not interesting enough to fill three or four minutes. But um, <laughs> to answer to answer maybe one of your earlier questions, I'm usually on the couch, depending on how the day goes with the side of the bed. Fair enough. Um, anyway, I've been in the, I entered the industry in 2011. I have a background in uh, journalism. I was uh, covering crime and courts for newspapers in the Philadelphia area, so pretty exciting stuff. Um, then wanted to make a transition to business media and ASI is based in the Philadelphia area. I applied and learned about this whole wide, wonderful world of promotional products that even though I was aware of what they were, I really wasn't aware of, the, of this entire industry that, that, that did all this stuff. And, um, and I guess since I've been kind of fascinated by it, everything that goes into producing the, the, you know, the merchandise that we literally see everywhere we go and what a huge economic contributor our industry is, um, you know, GDP, everything. So it's just, it's been an interesting ride. Um, 
my role with ASI is I'm our uh, news director. So I'm focused on a lot of the the business topics, the governmental developments, you know, trends in the in that are going to affect our industry, essentially. And um, we have a daily news site, asicentral.com backslash news. Get that plug in there. So Michelle Bell, my boss, will be happy. And, um, Hi, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. And, uh, you know, where we're basically covering anything that is, is relevant for the industry. And I'm helping drive a lot of that content. That's awesome. Well, yes. Hi, Michelle. Michelle, how are you doing? Um, <clears throat> now, Chris, we're, we're super pumped to have you on. Uh, so thank you for coming on uh, to the show and, uh, and discussing. Uh, for, for people that maybe don't know what could have potentially happened uh, like yesterday um, or over the last couple of weeks, do you want to fill us in on, on what was going on with UPS? Yeah. So the most, the most basic thing is that approximately 340,000 UPS workers, that's drivers and logistics personnel, like, like, like warehouse support, um, were set to go on strike August 1st. If there wasn't a tentative, um, new or a tentative agreement on a new five-year contract for them, that tentative agreement was reached between, um, the UPS workers union leadership and UPS corporate. Um, that said the, the, the possibility of a strike while still well at this point very remote is still on the table because the rank and file union members have yet to approve the contract so there's very few people who who don't expect that to happen most expect that this is a very favorable contract to to the workers and they got a lot of what they were looking for and the union leadership is very happy about it so it is expected that rank and file will approve but it still technically hasn't happened. So there's a remote possibility that you could still see a strike, but it most likely has been averted. I will say they did vote and it was 161 to one. So okay, so one. that was so that, that was, yeah. was the that was the Teamsters look. So you have the negotiating committee okay. negotiating with UPS. That's like the mega ultra important All right. union the leadership. The Chris then bosses. There's, then there's um, local union halls, right? That opens okay. tomorrow, it looks like. So so the local, right. So the local union halls, that was the vote that you're referring to, Meg. Okay. Where that, those, that localized union leadership did vote overwhelmingly to approve it. But now it goes to those hundreds of thousands of workers that work mm. out of those various union halls and they approve it. And that, that voting process, as, as Stephen pointed out, starts August 3rd and it goes to August 20, 22nd. So there's like these three layers of approval that, that need to happen. And that third one is, is, is outstanding. If you really want to get into the minutia of, of, of union voting and everything. <laughs> Not today, but yeah. maybe next time. <laughs> so they're, they're wasting the rest of the summer to do this vote. By the time they get the air conditioners in the trucks, they're not going to need them. Oh yeah, well, well that's that's funny because that was such a huge issue during the negotiations. They like they're hot and sweaty, especially when it's hundred degrees in Texas. Yeah. So, um, but they're gonna have air conditioning units in their um their newer trucks, not their existing ones. So, mm. yeah. And this is like the hottest summer some, ever. Sorry. What What were some of the other issues, Chris? Do you know or like do you have any of the details as far as like what the what the workers were looking for or what? what yeah, absolutely. So I think always it's it's wages and and benefits is 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 first and foremost. There was um a, a real feeling that you know UPS workers and 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 shipping and delivery workers in general 
kept the economy running during COVID, you know, um, when everybody, when a lot of other people in, you know, white collar settings were working from home, they were still out and about making deliveries, making sure essential medicine supplies and everything got where it should. And that helped drive record profits for UPS. Literally. I mean, that that's fact. It was record profits for UPS and um, the union leadership felt that their members should see some of the, the benefit that, that, that UPS corporate saw um, th through all that volume, basically. Um, so that, that was a, that was a big thing. And as it turned out, a lot of the, um, the, uh, the full-time workers, w w they got pretty quickly to an agreement or fairly quickly to an agreement on what they wanted, but there, they felt that part-time workers, which play a really essential role in powering UPS were, um, were still being terribly underpaid. So that was really over these last few weeks in the lead up to that strike deadline. That was really one of the major sticking issues was, was pay for these, for these part-timers and getting them what they felt was necessary. Um, Jeff, as you alluded to, um, better health and safety things like getting air conditioning in trucks and certain other various mm -hmm. things that probably a lot of people in our end aren't care about. They, they wanted, you know, improvements there as well. And they generally got them. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I do see that as far as the AC thing is concerned, that's for all new van sprinters, mm -hmm. delivery vehicles after January 1st, 24. So yes. it's going to be only the new vehicles. They're not going to go. Oh, they're not going to retrofit. No, they're, they're they actually they're anti retrofit them now. <laughs> so yeah. like they come with them and then they remove them. It sounds like, but moving forward, they'll just keep it, keep them in. <laughs> so it's wild. Yeah. How is do you? I don't know if you know. I know we, earlier before the show we were talking about the 1997 strike, mm -hmm. the things that they're asking for. How I mean, obviously the times have changed dramatically. What was the big differentiator? Do you know? But what they were asking for in that earlier strike versus what they were asking for this time? I mean, I'm sure it was money as well and compensation. But was there any unique tidbits that you may know about? Man, I wish I could give you a great answer. All I know Sorry. is in general. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I read a USA Today article on it and it glazed over it. And the, and the bit was essentially, you know, wages and benefits and certain of working conditions too. But as far as like the detailed details, I don't mm. know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Meg, are you referring to the time they struck back in 97? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah so you had some happened. stuff to talk about that, right? Yeah, so this this it, it's happened in the past. I mean, it's not like foreign, but it's been obviously a while. So, um, and it, Chris, I think you've got some pretty good statistics as far as like the number of employees they had back in '97 when they struck versus you know what it was now. I mean, it's almost three yeah. times the employees, right? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> and off, off top, I can tell you, of course, there's about three hundred forty thousand uh, workers that were covered by this contract now. Back then, it was under two hundred thousand. I think it was around one hundred. 85,000. And part of the big reason for that increase in workers is, is, Hey, we live in an e-commerce world now, and there's so much more business happening through shipment and fulfillment and, and UPS has just grown. Um, so the economic impact this time of round would have been more significant than it would have been. And the supply chain disruption would have been more significant because of how much, how relied, how much more UPS has even relied upon than it was you know, back in the in the late 90s, um, by one estimate, a 10 day strike would have cost the U.S. economy about seven billion dollars. Um, so that's you know, it's not an insignificant yes. number to, 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 to be looking at. Um, so that's kind of to me, that's the big comparative that even that 97 was very significant in terms of a strike, but it would would have been much more so even now. 
Well, let's dive into that a little bit because I know in, in 97, I got some information about when it happened. I, I wasn't in the industry at that time, but my brother-in-law was. Um, and he had mentioned that uh, when they did strike in 97, it lasted for a couple of weeks. And then, of course, it took a few weeks to then rebound after that. Um, so you're talking about, you know, more than a month long fiasco for, for mm-hmm. something like that. And you're, you know, Ugh. the number that you're talking about for, for, I think you said it was in a week, seven, seven billion. Is that what you said? Or was yeah, it? Ten, so 10 days, 7 billion is, is what days. the estimate yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just imagine what that would have been, you know, back then and how much it did, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how much it, how much worse it would be now. Um, but he had mentioned also that, you know, cause back then USPS, they weren't really doing packages, you mm-hmm. know, it was all just mail and letters and things like that. You know, you have that option maybe a little bit now. Um, but back then in 97, it was really just UPS and FedEx mm-hmm. and FedEx from, from what I'm being told actually required you when, when that strike, uh, went on with UPS, they actually required you to have an account with FedEx and they weren't taking any new accounts. Mm-hmm. because of the strike because they needed to mitigate how much they you know could take on um you know because it was a huge demand on them then i mean they were the only mm-hmm. players in the game for over a month at that point well several right. weeks ago. so yeah. um yeah i mean it just could i mean could you imagine like not having like what are you going to do you know if you don't have an account with fedex what do you what are you doing with your packages for a week or for, for multiple weeks so great question so this t- so this time around my understanding was that FedEx was going to try to take on to, to try to capture some of that, that excess, or not excess, that influx, I guess, of, of, of packages that would have happened, but they made it very plain that they were going to prioritize, you know, you know, pre-existing accounts. So if you were consistently using UPS, you didn't do much business or any with, with FedEx, FedEx is like, yeah, we can, we'll try to get to you to, ha- to, to help you out, you know, but um, we're going to definitely help the people who have been our bread and butter, you know, yeah. first. So makes sense. So, yeah. So like you, you also alluded to um, the postal service, right? So the postal service has changed its bit business model. We're in the, you know, the email and digital text era, et cetera. So they recently launched ground advantage where they're, where they do a lot more. It's, it's basically um, a package service that is intended to rival. I use that in quotes, um, you know, UPS or, or FedEx, but it's, it's still a, you know, it's a, it's a new service, um, the degree it, it, there, there's questions over its efficiency, how costs compare and everything like that. The, the most basic thing I would say is that if UPS strike, even for a short amount of time, there would be a whole ripple through the, through the domestic shipping supply mm. chain. And yeah. what that looks like is you're going to have, there's going to be delays. There's going to be backups. Efficiency is going to, going to lag. And you're probably looking at, 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 at higher prices um, just because they can. It's, you, you know, I'm going to charge, you're desperate. I'm going to charge you a premium. And they would have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So speaking of ripples through the whole domestic, uh, unless you guys want to go into something else before we segue, but. Well, I did want to touch on uh there's a nice bridge there talking about price increases and wage increases. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I'm going to cherry pick a few things from the Teamsters tentative agreement that they've been posting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of which are have to do with the wage increases um, for those that don't know. So one of the things is all part-time people will immediately be put at <laughs> an hour. That's if you're good. at that or above, you get a dollar 50 increase and subject it up to, I think it's four or 50 over the life of the contract, which is five years. Um, there's a $2.75 wage increase immediately if you're full-time, but if you're not at the $49 per hour base rate, you immediately get brought up to that, uh, which, you know, 49 an hour, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's, it's $101,000 a year. 
Yeah. Wow. And then wow. in addition to that, over the life of the contract, they'll see a wage increase of up to $7.50 um, over that as well. And then there's talks of 7,500 new full-time members being added to try to cut into the shortfall of 22,500 open positions. So that's, if you just start doing the math, it's like ex crazy amounts of, of uh, financial ramifications for this. And I wonder, will that all just come out of UPS profit or is it going to lead to wage increases, right? So yeah. wage increases or, or rate, rate, rate increases. Rate increases. Yeah, so yeah. You're not going to be able to increase the rates too much or else you're going to, I mean, because you're still competing with FedEx. Like you still, there's still a competitor. So, that, so that's kind of where I'm leading. Like, what do we think the ripple effect of this new deal will bring? You know, um, do we think we'll see considerable changes in rates? Can they have considerable increases in rates, you know, with what else is out there. What's your, you know, obviously there's no crystal ball, but what do we think? Yeah. I was, was going to ask that. Yeah. What do you think? Asking me? Yeah. You're the expert. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so I do think, I do think there's going to be rate. I, I don't think it's going to be like a wham bow, like, you know, massive overwhelming one all at once, but, uh, but UPS is a, is a publicly traded company. They, you know, they essentially they're beholden to, to, to stockholders and they need to drive value to stockholders through, through profit and <clears throat> any diminishment off that doesn't, doesn't look good. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when you look at what their recent, um, yeah, excuse me. What a break. What, <laughs> yeah, cheers. Uh, what some of what some of the recent profits have been? I don't think that they're going to look to to scale that back. And I think there's a ripple effect with price increases too, right? Okay, so like yeah. if FedEx sees that its main that its main competitor is increasing rate, and so it it now knows that there's some bandwidth in the market to 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 do so to do so as well. So I, I think it ultimately does have a like a knock on effect of price increases. I don't know. I I couldn't you know, guess what those it's percentages hard to speculate for sure. Yeah. Like I couldn't guess what the percentages would be, but I would expect rate increases with time over the life of this contract, which probably would have come anyway, but maybe even more significant now. Sure. Yeah. Now that they know the value of what it's going to equal, yeah. they can figure out how to tier that. I'm assuming. Yeah. But don't they use like fuel surcharges and things like that to increase the price? And then like, you never see it come back down. What do so you like mean? They just throw all the extra charges on the supplier side of it. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, like, as far as like the, the rate increases, I, I don't know that, I mean, they might increase a little bit, but I really don't think that they can increase it very much because you're, you're still dealing with competitors. And Chris, like you'd mentioned, you know, you've got USPS that's now sort of in that, in that ballpark or in that field mm -hmm. as well. That's, and they've got, I mean, they've got the infrastructure to do it. They've got the drivers. They've got all the, you know, the location. I mean, if anybody's really set to to sort of capture some of that, I think it would would be to USPS. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I think with the amount of business that they've increased because of e-commerce and how much they've you know continued to grow, I think a lot of that's going to have to come off of UPS a little bit. But like you said, I mean, it is a public publicly traded company. They are beholden to the stockholders. So I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't want to. I don't want to open Pandora's box on this, but I'm just one of the things here too is talking about uh, the number of changes that they requested, and there were 60 total. And they they're there's a they're priding themselves that there were 60 total changes with zero concessions made um, on the Teamster side, and it's just like the the power that they have in this in this negotiation. It's like where, where will it stop? You know, like I, I don't want to, you know, forecast, but five years from now, who says they can't just do it again and do it again. And, um, what choice 
do we have, right? And like, it's it kind of a scary conundrum. It's not necessarily a monopoly because there, there are other options, but will eventually this get to a tipping point? You know, like we're- Great question, Stephen. I was, I was trying to go there, but I couldn't put those thoughts together. That was a great question. First thing I'll say is I think it's a little bit of hyperbole in their statement that they made no concessions. I, I sure. think if you go behind <laughs> the curtain, they definitely wanted, you know, for instance, the um, delivery trucks retrofitted now with, with air conditioning, which sure. I, I would argue that that's, that, that was probably a concession, whether they publicly acknowledge that. Acknowledge not, it, yeah, yeah I, I think it, but anyway, to, to your point, you know, we, yeah, you raise a great question because essentially it is FedEx and UPS who, who, we're, who we're relying on for, for these services. And I mean, there are, you know, um, certain regional providers, like I think if you're out, if you're out West, like OnTrack is, mm-hmm. is one you could use. There's, mm-hmm. there's, um, there, you know, there's to a much, much, much lesser degree, like a DHL or, or certain. Lasership. Yeah. But essentially it's, it's UPS and FedEx and mm-hmm. you're, um, and you are to a degree beholden to, to, to that workforce and the bargaining and bargaining power that they have. And, and sure. um, even though I would, I would argue that you, that the unions did, did make some concessions or, or met a little bit halfway on certain things. This was a, this was a slam dunk win for, for, for the union, like, like yeah. UPS knew that they had very little they could do. And they knew that even if they were already starting to experience you know, people are getting nervous. Shippers are getting nervous. Yeah, plans. They're already starting to move some business away prior to the strike even happening. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys may have been doing that in the course of your own business. So, um, so there, so th- so that reality alone, they just knew that they they could not let this happen, and um, and that speaks to the power of of the unionized workforce. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, quick question: Let's say this did happen. Let's say yesterday <laughs> it was August first, and they were like, "You know what? Not today. Mm-hmm. I'm not showing up." <laughs> how? <laughs> what's the? How quickly do you think it would take for the U.S. government to step in? And, and is that? Do you think we would even notice? Do you think as of today, August second, if they went on strike yesterday, we would have even it would have even touched us? Or do you think this would have gone on for a good? 24 hours before the government stepped in something along those lines. Like, I just want to see your thoughts. On that. It's, it's, it's a political, it's, it's a political answer. And uh, I know politics, but I, I think we, it's not a, it's not a secret that the administration in Washington is one of the most pro union administrations that has, that has ever been in, in the white house. Uh, you know, hmm. the president kind of campaign, he campaigned on that, on being very pro union and having blue collar roots and, and, and this and that. And I think that, there was pressure for him to not intervene on this one or for, oh. and for Congress not to intervene. Because if you remember, there was the, the, the West coast the port ports. workers yep. were yep. threatening to strike. There was a, there was um, an intervention from the Biden administration there that helped br- broker a deal. Last year, there was the rail railroad workers were threatening to strike. There was intervention from, from Congress there. This time around, Sean O'Brien, who heads up the Teamsters union representing the UPS workers specifically reached out to Biden and leaders of Congress and said, listen, don't intervene. Like you talk about being pretty power like, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let yeah. us, like, let us get the contract we deserve and don't inter- like let UPS suffer the repercussions. And there is, there is certain members of Congress, most, mostly Democrat, but there was, I, I think there was some bipartisanship in there too, a few Republicans as well, who said, no, we are not going to intervene on the UPS talks this time around. And um, last I had seen, so don't hold me to this, I think the Biden administration was mum 
Um, they basically didn't say whether they would intervene or not intervene. There mm. was definitely a lot of speculation that if things really started to, to if, if you're getting into days upon days and we start to hit that range I mentioned before, where it's $7 billion worth of economic impact in 10 days, I'm guessing there would have, I'm guessing there would have been intervention. They would have had to, I mean, yeah, the, the people would have had their pitchforks, man. I mean, that would yeah. have been happened on day two or three, not day yeah. seven. This is a yeah. different world. This you know, is we, a definitely different world. <laughs> and we think about it from the lens of, you know, my, my hats or shirts can't make it for an event, but there's like oh, very important much, supplies, yeah. you know, medical, that, supplies, medical supplies for hospitals. Medical and, you know, pharmaceutical and food and, you know, like, those are the things that would have been, you know, it would have caused some sort of intervention or some, you know, prioritization of materials. Like, I don't know how that it would have worked. Yeah. Um, but and Stephen, to your point, we were talking about 97 before, um, medical, medical supply deliveries were affected in, in, nice. in that strike. So that mm. was just one of the, one of the issues in there. And you're talking about prioritization. If this did become a more pro prolonged strike, do you think they're going to be super worried about, you know, like, delivering you know branded shirts or are they going to get like insulin or whatever right. you know, right. might be a little dramatic but still like it's that's that's the point i don't think we'd be higher priority on the list i'll let yeah. you tell the customer that sorry steven i'm gonna have to let chris tell you why you're not getting your shirts outrage <laughs> i think it's, i think it's okay. only a matter of time or at least I, I would hope that it's only a matter of time before there's some type of like courier network that's created in order to like rival some of these trucking or some of these logistics companies there needs to be more competition in that space like only having two options is kind of ridiculous yeah um so and I guess that's what happens with these smaller people, like the on tracks or the laser ships. And it's funny, actually, during COVID, I was like, I started a um, a courier business. I did a business plan. I was like, this is it. I'm gonna. I'm actually I started before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I was so busy. I mean, when I'm talking like 23 hour days in the first three weeks, it was so insane. And I'm like, I have no time to even think about that and then the months leading up after that i was like and then i'd already started the business so then when it came time to do my taxes i was like well damn i have to pay all these, these taxes so i closed it right after that i was like that was a learning lesson but still it would have been even if it was for my customers only or whatever i would have been double dipping the, there. the biggest uh jeff to your point you know there's obviously such a, a huge overhead taking with you know owning mm -hmm you know, the, the delivery vehicles and stuff, but even just to talk to multiple different uh, courier networks. So I know there's some out West that we've used for packages that are within, you know, a couple hundred miles in the in Los Angeles and stuff. And they've got a great system, but it only goes so far, you know? Right. So it's like, how can we get this system to do a zone to this system to, you know, basically create these networks, um, something like that would be incredible and I think would create that competitive advantage for some of those, but the, the, yeah. the, pro the problem, right. And you guys knew is, is that it's like the, it's like the Walmart or Amazon effect, right? Mm -hmm. like, 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 like they have such spending power and they have such infrastructure in place. It's so, it's so hard to compete against something as, as established like that. It's not to say that you can't do it, but to do it on like a mass, mass scale. Jeff, I thought your point before about the post service was, was good because it's because they do at least there is that infrastructure like that. That's like maybe a realistic hope with time. That's a, mm -hmm. yeah. that's a real thir third, uh, a real major third option because they're already national. They've got so many people. They mm -hmm. have, you know, recognition, et cetera. So 
but it like like a total independent like fourth major player coming in it's hard to see that happening like on a on a national national if you think of it let me know no. the what, about Amazon, what about Amazon just adding it as a as i mean amazon's already got infrastructure what if they yeah. just added more trucks you know, yeah. like they already are doing deliveries to every neighborhood in the world. See, we've already <laughs> solved the world's problems it's, in a half an hour like that. It's going no? to come down to Amazon or Elon Musk. Like one of yeah. those two are going to come out with some type of logistic company, <laughs> you know, to rival UPS. It's fun and to dream and solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a great, that's a great point. Yeah. But uh, listen, I know we're running short on time. And I do want to touch on, you know, hypothetical solutions to to this particular problem. And Chris, I, I know we, we talked before the podcast a little bit and you had mentioned, you know, maybe going depending on your capacity and things like that with like LTL shipments. And, you know, we also discussed, you know, the ripple effect that, you know, a strike from UPS would cause on domestic shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of LTLs and ripple effects, uh, the whole situation with yellow trucking um, mm-hmm. that just happened over the last like day or two uh yellow trucking is now like filing bankruptcy and it's like mm-hmm. thirty thousand trucks uh that are you know gone from the fleet essentially so do you want to touch on that at all with with yellow and you know what that's going to do to ltl shipments domestically and things like that yeah i'll, I'll, I'll be i'll try to be super quick so the, so the so what analysts are saying this is this is just research i've done this is me saying it it's, it's what some of these people who study this are saying it is that you're going to see a, a rate increases most likely in um less than truckload shipments for that reason you've just you've removed capacity fr- from the fleet and yellow was known as being a low-cost provider so if you were someone who is used to using yellow um, you're probably going to pay more when you when you go some when you go someplace else. Um, the good news on yellow, though, is even though it's thirty thousand trucks out of the fleet, and I think it was you know three hundred terminals nationwide that they operated out of, there was enough excess capacity from what I've read in the um, in the LTL um, you know national infrastructure, if you will, to absorb you know the yellow's business without there being like big supply chain disruption or anything like that. Mm. But you could, you're going to probably expect to see, you know, rates, rates go up because there's now that excess capacity is gone. So the the service they provide is at more of a premium. So it's going to cost more. Mm. Well, I mean, anytime something like that happens where there's disruption, there's always opportunity as well. So maybe some of these other trucking companies can step in and buy some of the, some of the trucks and, and, you know, hire some of these employees and drivers and stuff at a, at a, at a, you know, a certainly a reduced cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and like and acquisitions in this on. industry. Yeah. 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 And, you know, speaking of our industry and solving the world's problems, you know, like I was saying, we do, you know, maybe we need to develop some type of courier uh, buying group (laughs) (laughs) where we just, you know, we we need to, we need to teach the the logistics companies how to, how to create buying groups and and national accounts so that we can, uh, you know, streamline that's a little bit courier (laughs) network where it just goes from that courier to that courier to that courier and hey, your, your package is delivered. Yeah, so. well, if you think of it, like I said before, let me know. We could. I'm happy to try to invest. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it sounds good. Oh. All right, you guys have anything else to add to the conversation? I mean, I, I, we could probably go on another 10, 15 I know. Minutes, but. Uh, not at all, but Chris, thank you. You're a wealth of knowledge. And I know we, you were the first person I thought of for this because you have invested so much time and researching this. And we, we appreciate all of your, your feedback on this tremendously. It was great. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It's a blast to come on and chat. Oh, awesome. Yeah, the only the only thing I was going to add um, was, you know, it's, it's almost nice to have the threats of things happening without them happening because you end up going through these business mental exercises, mm. you know, like, okay, so if this does happen, then what do we do? You know, you you never have these backup plans until you're faced with the threat of them. Um, 
so this is one of those things as we started to creep closer it's like all right we're going to set up our you know make sure our scheduled for this on fedex and we have this usps corporate account here so we can use this for mm. this so we were preparing for it even though we didn't have to use it but uh, yeah. you never know <laughs> so. yeah. you, gotta, you gotta keep the sword sharp you know that's right yeah. All right. Well, Chris, definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, this podcast was brought to you by our good friends over at Bell Promo. They are the home of the 12-piece minimum on everything. They offer simplified pricing, one low setup, and never repeat setups, regardless of the number of colors, locations, or decoration method. Bell Promo has the largest inventory of product styles and colors in uh, top categories like drinkware, bags, writing instruments, and apparel. Be the reason someone smiles today and check them out at bellpromo.com. Tell them the Industry Insider sent you. And until next time, guys, we'll be seeing you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.